Well, good morning, church. Um, as has already been said, my name's Fred, and I'm stepping in, filling in for um, Pastor Jeff for today. And um, we're going to be looking at this morning's message. It will be spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. But before we go to that, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you for the divine authenticity of your precious word. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit, which interprets and applies that word to our hearts and minds. And we pray, Father, this morning as we delve into your word, this might be the case. You would teach us, Father, the lessons you would have us learn as we commit our gathering to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn with me then, please, to John chapter 12. We'll be looking at John chapter 12. And I'll be working from the authorized version of the Bible, which I think is still the most accurate and authentic version that we have today. And we shall read from verse 32 to 46. And then I won't do a verse-by-verse verse exposition because I don't have time for that, although I'd love to, but I will pick out the pertinent verses that apply to spiritual blindness. You won't find the word blind or blindness in this passage, but of course it's inferred in the text. So let's start off and read from verse 32. Open your Bibles if you would. Jesus speaking now to the Pharisees and to the people in general, the Jewish people, and he says in verse 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die, the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goes. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's a direct quotation from Isaiah 53.1. Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. And that is a direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 6, 9 to 10. These things, verse 41, saith Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. The word blindness in scripture in the Greek, in the Koinoi Greek, is tuflo, tuflo. And it's used metaphorically of the dulling of the intellect. 
Let's have a look at verses 32 and verses 33 again. And this is Jesus speaking. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. These words were meant to follow and expound the Father's statement in verse 28 at the last part of that verse. So if you go to verse 28, at the end part of it, I'll read it to you. This is, well, let's read from, verse, from the top of the verse. Father, this is Jesus speaking to his Father. There's a terrible time for Jesus because the crucifixion's coming up and he's terrified, he's scared. Bear in mind, Jesus took on humanity. He had human feelings. He's not looking forward to Calvary. But nonetheless, he set his face as a flint to go to Calvary. He says, Father, glorify my name. He's speaking to his Father now. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have, and this is the end of the verse in connection with this, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Now this will be done in a fourfold way. Fourfold way. Firstly, through the exaltation of righteousness. Secondly, through the defeat of Satan. Thirdly, through the honoring of the eternal Son. And fourthly, through the conquest of a lost world. But why Jesus? Why through Jesus? All the time in the New Testament, it's Jesus, Jesus, why? We have the answer in John chapter 5. You could turn there with me, please. John chapter 5. I shall be comparing Scripture with Scripture, as I think this is the only foolproof way to do things. I'm not interested in what I think, my opinion. I'm interested in what the Bible teaches. So we shall compare Scripture with Scripture and it'll back itself up, it'll fit together. So John 5, 22, 23, why Jesus? Here we have it. For as the Father, for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment, here it is, unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. So. God makes it very, very plain here, the order of events. He's chosen his son, Jesus, to come to the earth. And people must look to Jesus. Philippians 2, 5, 11, please. Philippians 2, 5, 11. I'm going to work you hard this morning. Philippians 2 and 5 to 11. Paul the Apostle says to the saints in Philippi, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Here it is, verse 10. That at the name of Jesus, there it is, Every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's have a look at verse 34 back in our John chapter 12 reading then, please. And I've lost my place, but John chapter 12. Then we look at verse 34 to get us launched.
The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how do you say then that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They were mindful of those scriptures which appeared to support their own point of view, but took no notice of the texts which speak of the Messiah's death and suffering. They had heard out of the law that Messiah abideth forever, but had never heard out of the law that Messiah should be cut off. And it's plainly revealed for us in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 26. Don't bother to turn to it. And that he should pour out his soul unto death. At this point, they were spiritually blinded. Isaiah 53 was also an integral part of their scriptures where the prophet predicted the death of the Lord's anointed. And yet, what do they say? Who is this son of man? Completely blind. And that's what religion will do for you. They had plenty of religion, the law, but they were minus Christ. The Savior. And there are plenty of people in churches today all over the world who have religion, but they don't have Christ. They're spiritually blinded. Just because people go to church on a regular basis, just because people have a religious attitude, just because people read the Bible doesn't mean they're saved. They can still be spiritually blind if possible. We're surrounded by millions of people who are spiritually blind and they don't know it until it's pointed out to them. So let's look at verse 35 and verse 36 now. Verse 35 and verse 36. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness knows not whither he goeth. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things, these things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. Now this is one of the probably the greatest passages of John's Gospel. The Lord obviously referred to his earlier announcement when he declared himself to be the light of the world. But now he outlines five very vital steps, and I like to call them the five G's. We'll go through them quickly, the five G's. A great announcement, one. Two, a growing awareness. Three, a grim assertion. Four, a glorious alternative. And five, a grievous absence. Let's look at the first one here. A great announcement. The light is with you. There's no need to stumble in the darkness because truth now stands in your midst. He who knows the mind of the Father is here to instruct you, to guide you, and to help you. Why is the question. Why would God go to all this trouble? Well, we have the answer in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering. Here's the point I want to bring out. 
but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The whole object of the exercise, so as far as God is concerned, is to bring people to a saving knowledge of himself. And I shall speak in a little, early, a little later in the morning on the grace of God in connection with this. But this is the intention of God. Why go to this trouble? But it's a great announcement. God's here now to be called upon. Number two, a growing awareness. The light is with you for a little while. Take advantage of it and walk while you have it. He was urging his listeners to seek the Lord while he could be found. This is what he was doing. If you turn with me to Isaiah 55, please. Brings this out. Isaiah 55. And we'll read from verse 6 and 7. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to God, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What an invitation, eh? What an invitation. But I want you to notice, now is the accepted time. Not to put it off into the future. Not to go away and think it over. Now, the Bible calls people to repentance and to trust Christ as their Savior. D.L. Moody said that he made the greatest mistake of his life on the night of October the 8th, 1871. What was the mistake he made? Well... Moody gave the people a week to decide for Christ. That night, the great Chicago fire broke out. Many of the people who were there were killed. In all, some 300 souls perished. Moody's house was destroyed, his mission was destroyed, and his home was completely destroyed. And he learned a valuable lesson out of that. He never ever made that mistake again. You don't tell people to go away and think about it, wrong. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Thirdly, a grim assertion, a grim assertion here in John chapter 12, that ye, that ye may, verse 36, that, let's have a look at it, verse 36, while ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things make Jesus. Now, this was tantamount to an insult <laughs> because the people to whom he spoke were proud that they were the children of Abraham. To them had been given the responsibility and privilege of preserving and proclaiming the Mosaic law. The Lord here was repeating in a new way what he'd already always said to Nicodemus. What did he say to Nicodemus? Go to John chapter 3, please. John chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Very religious. 
He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. So you can't get any higher than that. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. That little statement he makes there, is it possible to enter the second time into my mother's womb? At this particular point of time, Nicodemus is completely blind. <laughs> Why? Because he's a natural man. He can't understand spiritual things. Why? Look at 1 Corinthians 2.14 with me, please. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Here it is. Paul says to the saints at Corinth, and I can't explain too much for the sake of time, I'll just pick this one verse out in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Natural people can't understand spiritual things. The people we meet in the street, or friends, or neighbors, they're not Christians. If you start to talk to them about spiritual things, you're wasting your time. What they need is the gospel. They're unspiritual. They're natural. They're born that way. We're all born natural. And here, Nicodemus is a natural man. He's completely blinded. He hasn't got a clue what Jesus is on about. What? Be born again? I'm already born. I'm here. No, 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 no. Jesus was talking about a spiritual rebirth. He's driving the point home here. And he's driving the point home here to the Jews in John chapter 12 in a different way. You must be born again. Number four, a glorious alternative. A glorious alternative. Even though they were not the children of light, the opportunity was there to walk while you have the light. Leave so all men could become the children of light. John chapter 3, 14 to 18. Please. 3, 14 to 18. And as Mo and whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that phrase we all know. We know it off by heart, don't we? No need to read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten son of God. The word believe there in the Greek is pistis, pistis. And it's just not a mental assent type of believing because the Bible tells us that the devils believe and tremble. 
This word believe in the Greek means to trust in, to rely on, to cling to, to put your trust in. That's what it means in the Greek. In other words, to make a personal decisions. That's what the word believe in the New Testament teaches here. Fifthly, a grievous absence. The Lord withdrew and hid himself, indicated that darkness would prevail when he was not present. His nearness presented opportunity. His departure meant tragedy. He announced his message, but unfortunately, the people were blinded. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. Gives us the answer. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 3 6. Paul writing to the saints at Corinth, and he says in verse 3, But if our gospel be hid, and it is, it is hid to them that are lost. Why? Here it is, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. That's the reason why people are blinded. The God of this world is Satan. You say, well, God's in control of the world. Yes, he is. God's in sovereign control of everything. But God allows Satan to go so far. He is the prince of power. He's, he's in this world. And he desperately doesn't want people to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. He'll do anything he can to stop people being saved on an, indivi on an individual basis. Ephesians 6.12, please. Ephesians 6.12. Brings us out even more, more. Paul the Apostle writing to the saints at Ephesus this time. And he says, uh, this chapter is well known because what does it contain? Shout it out. It contains the armor of God that we are to put on. But Paul goes on to say in verse 12, for we wrestle, speaking about believers now, Christians, not, not non-Christians. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, and here we have the four divisions of Satan's kingdom. Firstly, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against one, principalities. Two, against powers. Three, against the rulers of darkness of this world. And four, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There we have the four divisions of Satan's kingdom very active, very real, very effective going on right now in the world. That's why people won't come to Christ. Satan's anti-God, and he doesn't want people to be saved. Verses 37 to 41, back in John 12, please. Just got to turn back to John 12. Okay. Okay. 37 to 41. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Well, we've already seen the reason why that is. 
that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their heart, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. This is a difficult passage, passage to be able to understand. And you might think, you'd be wrong, but you might think that there's a contradiction here. No contradictions in the word of God. No errors in the word of God. It's just that we don't study it enough to find out the truth. So it's not a contradiction. So let me explain it. To many, this passage can present problems. But a better understanding, and I'll read this out for you, is made possible in the light of two facts. The early chapters of the book of Exodus teach that when Pharaoh continued to harden his heart against the commands of the Lord, the patience of the Almighty became exhausted. And finally, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. The Holy Spirit ceased to strive with him. This truth has been enunciated and vindicated in earlier times when Noah's indifferent audiences suddenly discovered that God, who had offered mercy, ultimately denied it. It's not a contradiction. And this is a basic truth throughout Scripture. Sinful men have always been urged to seek the Lord in the day of opportunity, now. The earlier chapters of John's Gospel reveal how the light of the world had shone in the midst of the nation. The claims of the eternal had been enunciated. Miracles had been performed again and again. But the people who might have learned to love Christ took up stones to stone him. Spiritually blind. Spiritually blind. The Lord, therefore, pronounced judgment. Your house is left unto you desolate because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. That's why in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus cursed the fig tree. Do you remember that? Why did he curse the fig tree? The fig tree in Scripture, wherever you come across it, always speaks of national Israel. The vine in Scripture, wherever you come across it, always speaks of spiritual Israel. The olive tree in Scripture, wherever you come across it, always speaks of Israel's earthly blessing. That's why Paul goes into a lot of trouble in Romans chapter 11, describing how we've been grafted into a wild olive tree. We've been given the blessings that were originally reserved for the nation of Israel. They shunned it. They, they said, we don't want it. So God said, right, I'll give it to the Gentiles. Aren't we fortunate? The blessings of Israel. Now, I'm not preaching British Israelism. That's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. What I am teaching is that because of Israel's rejection, God has opened the door to us to become recipients of his wonderful salvation. I think it's wonderful. Your house is left unto you desolate. So God said, I'm finished with Israel. Not interested. They've had time after time, chance after chance after chance. I'm closing the door on them. But let me say this, in the future, all Israel, Paul says, shall be saved. And I can't go into that prophetically. I don't have the time. Why? Because Israel are God's chosen people. Scripture tells us they're the apple of his eye. God hasn't forgotten them, but he's put them to one side temporarily so that the Gentiles can come in and bless them. That's us. 
you and me. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, don't bother to turn to it, tells us the Spirit of God shall not always strive with man. There's a cutoff point when God says enough's enough. Passing on quickly to verses 42 and verses 43. 42 and 43. Nevertheless, among the rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Here it is, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. <laughs> yes. Romans chapter 10, please. I'm comparing scripture to scripture. Romans chapter 10 and 9 to 11. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth, this is important, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Confession with the mouth is evidence of genuine faith in the heart. How wonderful it was a few weeks ago to see those lovely five people from our congregation go through the waters of baptism. Wasn't that wonderful? I was there. Some of you might have been there. Didn't have to do it, but the Bible commands that we go through the waters of baptism, not infant baptism. The Bible doesn't teach infant baptism. It teaches believer's baptism. And they went through the waters. What a wonderful public and people were around watching the spectacle. What a wonderful testimony. And when we come to Christ, we're not to keep it to ourselves like a spiritual sphinx. <laughs> we're to tell people, not, not the Bible bash, but we're to confess people to people who we are and why we are and how we got how we are. This is it. So, verse 40, I've nearly finished. Verse 44 to 46 in our reading. 44 to 46. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And you see that word believeth, it's mentioned some three times here. Believeth, believeth, believeth. And as I've already said, it means to adhere to, to cleave to, to trust in, to rely on, to have faith in. Now, there might be some here this morning, I don't know you all, who has not maybe come to this point of faith in Christ. I don't know your situation. I'm relatively new here. And I want to throw out an invitation now to you. I'm not going to make an altar call, ask you to come forward, which I sometimes do. I'm not going to do that. What I will do, I'm going to be hanging around after I've got another meeting to take after this. If you're unsure of your relationship with the Lord, please come and speak to me or speak to one of the elders or somebody who you know is a Christian. Don't walk out of here unsaved, is what I'm saying. If you're not sure of your relationship, you're not sure you know Christ as your Savior, stay behind, have a chat to me. I'm willing to talk to you about these things, and other people are as well. So this is a great invitation, and I'll finish with this. The great invitation is, is Isaiah, Chapter 1, verse 18. Let's turn to that, please. Isaiah 1, 18. Now, <clears throat> this is one of the verses which is an aphorism. <laughs> Let me explain. 
what's an aphorism? An aphorism is a general truth, a rule of conduct, or a principle, uh, but they're not, but they're spiritual, not just moral. And they always go in pairs. Sometimes we call them couplets. And you always have an illustration followed by an application. You'll see them, they're scattered all over the scriptures. Sometimes you'll get them in Matthew chapter 13. Sometimes you'll get them in Proverbs, sometimes in Psalms, and they always go together. That's the way the Holy Spirit's designed his word to help us understand him better. And here in this 18th verse, we have an aphorism. First of all, let's read verse 10 of that chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now jump down to verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the whole, saith the Lord. And here's the illustration. Though your sins be as scarlet, here's the application, they shall be as white as snow. Here's the illustration. Though they be red like crimson, here's the application, they shall be as wool. Isn't that wonderful? An aphorism. Reason together shows God's gracious invitation to all men. But you'll notice here that sin is described as being scarlet and red, like crimson, not black. Normally in Scripture, sin is depicted by the color black. Why red? Because the color indicates the crimson dye of the scarlet worm, which is absolutely colorfast and indelible. If you get it on, the, on you, you'll never remove it. Nothing will remove that from that. It's absolutely indelible, just like sin's stain. That's why the Hebrew word here is given as red, just like sin's stain. You can't get rid of the stain of sin. You can try all the religion in the world, all the church attendance in the world. Won't work. Only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. There's that wonderful word again, that name again, Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? Also refers to their blood guiltiness before God, but we won't go into that. So there we are. We will leave it at there um, for the time. I would like to spend some more time, but we don't have the time to spend on that. So I'll bring that to a close. Um, do you want me to give a benediction or somebody else does that? You'll do that? Beautiful, that's fine. Okay, so we'll just close in prayer on the last on this one. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to delve into your wonderful word. And we thank you, Father, for the message that came out of this, your word this morning, spiritual blindness. We thank you, Father, we've received our sight spiritually and we give you praise and thanks for that. We're no longer blind, Father. You've lifted the scales You've given us spiritual sight, and we praise you for that. Accept our worship, praise, and thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen.